Welcome back to the Highway to Well. Today we're talking with Ryan Piccarella, Executive VP of Growth and Partnerships for Life Guides. In this episode, Ryan and I will take a journey through the valleys and mountains of what well-being is essentially about. We find ourselves at a peculiar space and time for co-creating our world, and in doing so, we aspire to increase opportunities to share love, empathy, caring in both our organization and community settings, but also in our lives and relationships to others. Sharing grace and space, as Ryan talks about, is what's going to help us let our dreams and hopes bubble up and collectively make them come true. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway to well. Welcome back to the Highway to Well. Today, we're talking with Ryan Piccarella, Executive VP of Growth and Partnerships at LifeGuide, whose premise, the LifeGuide's premise is navigating life challenges together, which sets up the ideas about how the company is really impacting lives and in the largest way, the, the wellness field and in, in the way that I see it. But it has an ambition mission to reducing human struggle and suffering Grow a platform for caring people to do extraordinary good. With Ryan, that's what we're really here to talk about. I hope ultimately is is that extraordinary good. So, first of all, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the highway to well and and taking some time today to talk about life, wellness, and and the overall goodness that we can create for each other. Yeah, thanks, Derek. No, it's great to be here, man. I appreciate the opportunity to to chat with you and, and everybody listening and watching. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And and I I am and I we talked about this before the podcast about how incredibly excited I got when I when I saw the work that you're doing now and, and the meaningfulness of your of your company, your life guides and what you're doing and how that fits in really fits into a life picture too. So I, I definitely want us to get to that. But what I what I love about what life guides is trying to do is that it's reframing where the energy time and expenses that are actually lost through our life challenges come about. And, you know, for us in the field, you and I've been in the wellness field for a few iterations and generations, it seems like, and we've been chasing this, 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 uh, what I'd like to think is a dynamic um, idea about how to save costs and promote wellness. But sometimes we get caught up in that and trying to figure out productivity. And then we try to figure out ROI measures on what we can find in like medical records or, cost containment strategies with CPC codes and all the complex work that goes into trying to figure out what are we, how are we going to save money when actually, as as you know, and as, as LifeGuide is here to work with us on it, the number one source of lost, lost productivity is really stress and life challenges. And that's hard to quantify, but we all know it exists. And it's also hard to predict because we don't know what life's going to throw at us. But yep. at LifeGuide, you've what you're you're trying to do is to match employees with those trained guys who have navigated similar challenges, whether that's the death of a family member, loss of loss of a of a family member or a friend, and and uh, you know dealing with chronic disease within your family and friend group, and what life is like during COVID, and there's all of these competing things in our lives that build up, and and for all of us, it's been a it's been a long year, it's been yes. a one year that seemed like eleven and. And I and I know that you've you've really gone through yourself an incredible year of, of growth and experience. And 
and that landed here with this work that you're doing now. So I want you to talk a bit about how you got the life guides and, and along the way, what was it about life in and of itself that drew you to this incredible organization? Yeah, thank you. You know, I think it's funny and you're right. You and I have seen, you know, wellness go through several iterations. And I think the thing that I've been talking about for years and that I think is incredibly important is, is, is really the, the human side to the work that we're doing and looking away from the numbers and the biometrics and the risk assessments and all of that. And to really see people for people and knowing that life is messy. I mean, and we're always constantly going through changes and not all of them are bad. And some of them are good. So whether we're getting excited about having a baby or whether we're getting married or maybe a job change or a move, or maybe it's, it is a hard time. Maybe you're dealing with aging parents or, you know, struggling with balancing COVID and, you know, having children in the household that you have to teach. And so it, it's just been 2020 was, was a year for everybody. I mean, I think it was trying to juggle so much at once. Um, it has been incredibly taxing and I've, I've seen and all the friends that I've talked to and work with. Um, I think it's the, the COVID fatigue is definitely set in. And when I, came across Life Guides, it would have been April of 2020. That was when kind of at the very beginning of the pandemic. And when I was at Wellcoa, we co-hosted an event with um, a partner of ours at Archetype Solutions Group. Uh, my, my friend Chathan is the CEO there. And the idea was, what are some of the, the latest innovations? What are some companies that are doing some really cool, very different things in the markets? And I know you and I have probably seen hundreds of portals and hundreds of challenges and, you know, kind of the standard. And I remember when Derek Lundston was talking about life guides, uh, it, it absolutely, it blew me away. I think both personally and professionally. And, you know, at the time I was personally going through a lot of life transitions. I was dealing with some family members that were very ill, very sick. I was trying to get back to see them, um, you know, I'm in Omaha, they're in Atlanta. I was in the midst of, of a divorce um, and just really a lot. And I remember as Derek was talking about the services that Life Guides uh, provides, I was blown away. So after the pitch event, uh, Chathan actually called me first and he's like, hey, man, like we got to keep an eye on these guys. They're doing some, some pretty cool stuff in the market. I've never seen an organization um, do this before. And so we met with Derek. Uh, and at the time, you know, little did I know a year later, I'd be working for them. And I basically said, hey, look, like I want to help any way I can. Like if I can be your friend, if I can make introductions, if I can, uh, you know, do a podcast webinar with you. Like I think what you're doing is so special that the world needs to hear hear about it. Um, you know, fast forward to, you know, my departure from Wakoa, I ended up taking some time off to focus, you know, on my family and Derek called. He's like, what are you doing right now? And I said, you know, honestly, man, I said, I, I want to take the summer. I just bought a camper and wanted to spend some time with my family and my sister and, and, and really just um, kind of have that opportunity to, to be with my family. And then as fall came around, uh, Derek called again. He's like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Would you be interested in, you know, sort of formalizing your role with, with Life Guide? And so it became an early advisor to the organization. And as I got to know them, uh, and I think as they got to know me, I, I was incredibly impressed by, by the spirit of the organization, by the work that they were doing, and, and quite frankly, by the, the impact, I believe, that they can have. Um, and it, it was such an, an incredible sort of transition from the work that I've been talking about for so many years at Wakoa and at Wellness. And how do we really help build these caring cultures? And you know, as well as I do, man, that, you know, that's really, that's the secret sauce, right? I mean, you can have all the programs in the world. And if you've got a toxic culture, then none of those programs work. If you've got a thriving, caring, and, and really supportive culture, um, then sometimes the programs, you know, you don't, you don't need. But the, then if you do have them, the likelihood of 
of them actually working and making a difference go up exponentially. But people need to have their basic needs met first. And if we're feeling lonely and if we're feeling unsupported and we're struggling either emotionally or we're not feeling safe in the environment that we're in, um, the likelihood of doing some of the higher level things like working out and eating more broccoli and getting more steps in just frankly aren't going to happen. So I ended up deciding to uh, join the team in February. So after several conversations and really feeling like the work that we could do uh, can be pretty epic. I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. So it's been quite the ride, but super excited to, to talk more about the work that we do. Yeah, I want to I want to start with one question, a little to dive in a little bit on the on the personal part for you. Um, I and then get to the question of connecting this back to life guys. And, and the first part is and I'm, I'm a huge Joseph Campbell fan. So when we go to the forest or we go to the cave and we disappear for a while and kind of deconstruct and metamorphosize ourselves, that's a journey that oftentimes we, as, as we go through our lives, we kind of bypass that opportunity to process our life. So for you, you talk, you just hinted at a little bit of camper life, but I, I want you to talk to me a little bit about what it was like to get away and have the opportunity to process and in the stillness and in the presence of, of the experience, what, how did that allow you to recalibrate these values? Like you've talked about, like we we're in a field that is very value driven, but rarely do we really need those two values. Like we, we strive for them, but we often are, are curbed by the infrastructure of an organization or an HR delineation of a health plan design issue that we can't work around in order to really fulfill those values. But here you are in a camper in the middle of summer, reevaluating all these pieces. And, and so I want you to talk about how, what did it, what did that mean? That experience mean to you to, to reset your values for that? Yeah. And, and I'm going to go back a little bit farther than that, because I think I could probably add some more context. That I think it's probably important to the story. And, you know, it's, it's all about, I mean, everybody has their story. And I think as we go through, you know, life and we, we get into college and we figure out, you know, what, what do we dream, you know, to be when we get older and, and what do we want to be, you know, it's, it's a challenging question. And I think about three years ago, I remember this very distinct sort of moment in my life where I was looking around and by all societal standards, I had, you know, the, the perfect life. I mean, I had the nice, you know, great job, a nice house, a nice car, a good family, but I remember there's something deep inside that, um, was not happy, and I couldn't figure out, you know, what it was. And, and there were there were aspects that I think, as I'd gotten older and you know, sort of hit forty, that I began to make certain compromises, and whether that was in my relationships or in my job, or that that really weren't incongruent with my values, as you mentioned. And I think over time, that sort of inner voice became louder and louder and louder and that I really you know some might call it a you know a midlife crisis or who knows and I don't I wasn't in crisis I, I what I wanted to understand is like back to the you know the, the true north as we hear and back to my true self and, and what was that sort of you know the, the voice that was wrestling inside and so when I was able to when I when I left Wakoa and knowing that at that point, and I traveled so much early on in my career, and I hadn't spent enough time with with my girls and my family, that I bought a camper. I thought this is the only thing, and we were at the midst of COVID, and it was the only you know sort of thing I thought could live somewhat of a normal life was to 
get on the road, to be in the woods, and to be outside and just stop for a second. I think so often we don't we don't stop enough in our life and pause that we get so busy uh, with life, with family, with running around, and just the, the day-to-day activities uh, that it actually forced me to sit still for a second. And then for the first time I brought my girls into the woods, I thought I was losing my mind. I had two three-year-olds, and, and we're I'm, you know, pulling a camper behind me, and I'm going to the woods. I'm like, what could, what could go wrong? And with the first night, like it was magical watching my daughters catching fireflies and building a fire and making s'mores and listening to the wind blow uh, and really thinking about, you know, those those big existential questions that we ask ourselves, you know, what, what do we want to make the next chapter of our life look like and what really is important and what, you know, what are the values? And that was that was kind of the rhythm for a couple of months for me was, was doing a lot of that, was going back and forth to Atlanta to help take care of my family and my my sister's health challenges there and just to really be present for what I was doing and to sort of separate myself from, you know, a lot of the world. I would get online. I would see the discord, whether it be with politics or social media and everything else. And it was really, um, it was disheartening to see all of that. And so for me, it was a time to really get grounded again um, and to stop moving and to really think about what are the things that matter most to me? Um, and, you know, not what society thinks I should have or look like or be like on paper, but what's what does Ryan look like? And what does Ryan's next chapter look like? And how is that going to really manifest itself into the next 40 years of my life? And so that was that was it, man. For five months, it was, you know, really thinking about those, those questions. And I, I know I've mentioned this to you and, you know, my real teachers were my daughters and that was what was so cool and that I didn't necessarily expect that, but watching two four-year-olds experience the world for the first time uh, was pretty spectacular. Catching their first fish, catching their first firefly, asking questions about clouds and the sun and stars and, and really getting back to the very human side, the very core of what I thought was important. And, you know, it goes back to connection and family and love and care. And so after, you know, four or five months and as, you know, it started getting colder in Omaha, I was like, okay, it's, it's time to, it's time to get back and it's time to do the work. Um, now that I'm really clear about what that work means for me and how that relates to sort of my ongoing purpose in life. Yeah. I love the, as you're talking, there's this thread that one of our good friends, Maggie Goff, is such a proponent of. And that's we, we get driven by achievement in that we try to become those achievements. And eventually then those achievements start to define us. And then and then we're constantly chasing achievements and that leads us away from being. And those are two different things. And if we spend more time being and, and discovering the value of presence and stillness, then we tend to find those life lessons like you're talking about, like the, the time that you can spend with your daughters, seeing them experience life for the first stages of everything. And, and I know, I mean, all of us that are parents of, of kids, we all go through those phases and, and those are that, those are very, those are the embodiment of, of those micro moments of wellness that, we need to compile as many of those. And if we're seeking achievement then we're never really present, we're just thinking about the next thing we're supposed to be doing. And yeah. that easily drives us away from our things. And I mean, you and I talked about that pressure of being, or I'm sorry, the pressure of achieving something. And, and I, you know, I talked, we talked a little bit about my midlife crisis happened when I was 22. So fortunately I checked that box off pretty early when, when I dropped out of, 
I was, I'm a law school dropout and going through that process of, of carrying the weight of being a first, you know, a first family member to go through college, not only that, but now I'm in law school and everyone around you is like celebrating what you want to do. And you're sitting there falling apart inside, like, this is not what I want to do and right. playing or you start to play a role, but it catches up to you. And it's, then we're left with the fallout. We, we create expectations for ourselves and they always, and we all know this, it's one of the you know inherent no-nos. I mean, if, if we create expectations of ourselves or those around us, we're bound to get disappointed, you know, one way or the other. And I think we, we grow up regardless of our childhood, but, you know, having that, like you going to law school, I know you've shared a lot with me about, you know, the expectation of what you're going to do. And that wasn't what you wanted. And, and there were parts of my life that I, I think I just, we don't stop enough and actually reflect. And I think that's the challenge as great as technology is. I think it's sped things up so quickly that we're always on and we've, we've, we've never stopped. We never stop. I mean, even at night, we're not stopping. And, but to really get very intentional about, you know, understanding what, what the expectations you have on yourself and are they realistic? Are they achievable? Is that what's going to make you happy? And I can tell you again, it's like, it's kind of the, the old adages. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, more is not going to make you happier, whether that's more money or more things or more titles or more notoriety or whatever, like you can get all of that. But at the end of the day, you're going to wake up tomorrow in the same clothes you went to bed in, you know, before. And so you've got to get comfortable with that and, and really get crystal clear about what what is it that is going to bring you happiness. And I think for me, realizing that um, I, I, like I said, I mean, I, there's so many things that anybody from the outside could probably look at and say, wow, like, and, and I was incredibly grateful for, for everything, but there was something deeply, you know, that was just restless that needed to, to get out. And so, um, I would encourage every, I mean, to find time to hit the pause button. I mean, it's going for those walks and whether that's, you know, moments of meditation or silence or whatever, I don't think we do it enough to really get in and to reflect on, um, where we're at and how do we continue to, you know, evolve. There's a statement for a long time, like things will never go as, things will never go as slow as they are to, or never go as, things will never be as slow as they are today or something like that. Like life is going to continue to get faster and faster. Uh, I probably just totally butchered that. But, you know, the idea is <laughs> making sure that you actually build intentional moments to to kind of reflect on, you know, the core values and what you want and to what, what is going to bring you true happiness. And I think sometimes the answer to that might be very surprising. And what's tougher is, is once you get that answer is getting the courage um, to be brave enough to go after it. Because I think sometimes a lot of people might know what that is, but might be afraid to take the first step uh, to do that. And so that's kind of the other part of the equation. How do you really step out of the comfort zone um, in order to truly make you, your family, and those around you, you know, happy? That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that's a moment where you load up your car and start driving north to Wisconsin to a town you've never been at, been to, and then start a new life <laughs> but uh well, there's a friend of mine that i was talking it's funny we were having this conversation yesterday her name is mel and mel is telling me that she's moved around so many times in her life because she will look at her home and she'll look at the city and she feels like if she moves she can do better somewhere else and so she'll literally sell everything put it in her car and move someplace else and start a whole new life there's that constant like achievement and she said i'm tired of i'm tired of that like i don't want to you know burn it down again like I, I want to like get clear about what it is that i want to do it versus always i need to 
I need to do better. And whatever that means better is, you know, is it a better job? Is it a big company? Is it, you know, bigger how I get better could be a lot of things, but you know, it's just, it's kind of funny. We, we, all of us driven people have, it's like this sort of constant need to keep trucking, to get, to get somewhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we forget, and, you know, I love motorcycles. And the thing about, you know, being on a bike is we always say, it's never about where the hell you're going. It doesn't matter what the destination is. It's always the journey. Right. So if we forget to honor the journey and to, and to enjoy those moments along the ride, we're really missing out because by the time we get there, like it's not that it's it's too late, but like you've 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 given up um, so many joyful and beautiful moments along the journey that um, you can't get back. Right, right, and then it, and I there's another part of this that I want us to get to because I we and we talked we talked about this, and this comes back to where so your work with life guides the, the critical part of that. So we were bound by kind of this common idea about what our human needs are. And then when we go through these phases of really struggle and conflict and, and disappointment or frustration or questioning, we, we always need someone to talk to. And we need someone to talk to that isn't sometimes as invested in our life as like a parent might be or even a loved one. We need someone with some objectivity about some of the things that you're really feeling and wanting to talk about. And, you know, we talked about this when, when I was on my way to dropping out of law school, I found someone I could talk to that wasn't a parent or a family member that didn't treat me like I was the problem, you know? And, and so you, you, I was relieved of the guilt of feeling the way I felt because I didn't want to let people down. But I had ideas about some things I maybe wanted to do. And and I had I had a life guide unintentionally. I had a life guide that I could rely on for some objectivity and some and some positive forward-thinking ideas about, well, here's some things that I might want to do with my life. And here's Here's where they come from, and they come from deep inside my in in my soul, and my yearning to help people and, and do things that create a better society, whatever way and lane that I'm in. And that was something that was really critical. And, and so, as you've gone through this this transformation for yourself, and now you're working in this capacity, that's really that connection point for people in, in this pursuit and what what and the fulfillment of that the gap of where we're missing the boat sometimes in our wellness programming is the ability to help people deal with those life challenges at the life challenge level. And you and I have talked too at length about like in our wellness community, we tend to sometimes when we start talking about mental health, it starts to gravitate a little bit towards EAP and some programming that is offered through a benefit plan. That's not what we're talking about. We're not at, we're not at that point or we're, we're, that isn't what we need. What we need is someone that we can talk to about the life experience we're going through. And, right. and I mean, how can I navigate that? I, I think we, we naturally do that. I mean, we're, we're naturally looking for people in our lives, whether it's as a mentor mentee relationship, whether we're struggling with something that have gone through the ropes before and that, that get it. I mean, that's, you know, and, and for me, I remember ever being, you know, a fairly, you know, young executive in my career and wanting to talk to someone that had, you know, been a young executive and what that would have been like going through a divorce, wanting to talk to someone, what, you know, what that was like for them trying to be a single dad. Like I didn't need an EAP. 
And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily want to go to counseling. I mean, one of my friends is a therapist and, and she, it's funny, she, she does a lot of marriage counseling. She's never been divorced. I'm like, how is it hard to sit in that chair and help people navigate this challenge when you've never gone through it before? And so I think, you know, we naturally look for people that kind of have this empathetic side because they know what it's like to go through those changes. If you're moving someplace new, if you're trying to, to manage a career and kids, if you're trying to homeschool and be a teacher and a mom and a dad, or whatever, like it, it just helps to get, you know, advice and to have someone to talk to that, you know, gets what you're talking about and gets your fears or your struggles or your excitements or whatever emotions, you know, might come with that particular change. But to have someone that's done it and navigated it before is what really matters. And so that's the whole premise of, of, of Life Guides, which is what was so, you know, sort of beautiful and fascinating to me that you're right, like, mental health. And it's still, it, it's amazing and, and actually kind of sad that it still carries baggage with it. And, and there's still stigmas around, you know, mental health. And this is not a knock on EAPs. And if someone needs those critical services at that time, like, my, you know, what, what a great thing to be able to have, you know, that resource. And again, it, whether it be health coaching or, you know, executive coaching or life coaching or whatever coaching that you might, you know, get, like, that's fantastic too. And the, But those are very, you know, sort of specific for certain people and for certain roles. But at the end of the day, we're every single human, every single one of us, all of us have, are navigating different aspects of life and being able to talk to someone that has navigated that successfully is helpful, uh, regardless of if it's, it's a promotion, a demotion, a marriage, a divorce or, or whatever. I mean, there's just so many things, whether you're you know, a person of color that wants to talk to another person of color about navigating you know, diversity you know, challenges within an organization or, or, or things or family or whatever, like it's, it, it's all there and so it's just that to me it was such a now I was like of course like what a genius what a genius idea to pair people with people that have gone through the same thing together to help them be more successful and to be more confident uh, that they're going to get out of the other end you know more successfully than without having that support and I know for me and even you know again, navigating the divorce I had informal guides that were there that had gone through it before that meant the world to me. And I'm helping friends now going through, you know, challenge situations that know that I know what it was like and that I've kind of been out the other side of the sausage grinder and, you know, life does get better and, and things do change. And like, I think just having that encouragement um, along the way, there, there's, there's no substitute for that. There's no program for that. It's a, it's a human to human thing that can't be replaced by um, anything else in, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's it is conceptually something that, to me, it draws into the meaningfulness of the and the value of a relationship that helps us. And and we know by all means the research behind social connectedness and healthy behavior is it, it's uncontested. I mean, we're continuing to learn more about the opportunity and social connections, and this is taking that opportunity to another level. And we've talked about too, where like, and oftentimes in the workplace setting. So when we start talking about social and emotional well-being, and we start to direct our attention towards EAP resources, we're still talking about uh, a part of the organization where you only see two to three percent utilization. Right. And so on every given day, you have how much of a percentage of a worksite population possibly dealing with something that's going to impact their work, and then we try to we try to categorically quantify that in absenteeism and presenteeism. And to some degree, you know, we can use a health assessment to figure that out, or we can look at attendance rates or different kind of 
objective measures to try to figure it out. But what is really hard to quantify is the emotional toll that a daily stress is taking. But we do know that it ends up causing a lot of burnout. It causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And, and these are all bad things to the organization. And so, and we've built our wellness program templates, not on those ideas. We've built them on cost containment strategies to like lower cholesterol, lower blood pressure, increase physical activity, and all well and good. I mean, by all means, we're not, we're, we're trying to do the right things, but we're missing the meaningful part of the experience a lot of the time. And so, you know, is it time for us to, and I don't want to be a nihilist at all. I mean, is it time to kind of tear everything down and kind of restart again? And how do we talk to, how do we get organizations to really be mindful of, of what we're talking about here? Well, I, I tell you, Jerry, I mean, I, I think if, if, if they were trying to, you know, shun EAPs and mental health before, uh, hopefully, you know, COVID has shined a light on the very realness that it is. I, because I think regardless of what position you're in an organization, and, and I've talked to, you know, HR leaders and CEOs, and I mean, every everybody, like all over the world, actually, I mean, I've, I've had friends, you know, all parts of, you know, the world, like we, this is like a universal struggle that we as the human race are in right now. I mean, what a time to be alive, honestly, it's, it's wild that this is it, but like, we're all, we truly are all in this together, regardless of what, if you believe that or not. But I mean, as leaders and as organizations, like recognizing that this is a really difficult time. And I think that leaders need to be vulnerable and about, you know, sort of owning up to their own, you know, challenges that they need, because that gives people permission to get the help that they need. Um, and I think that, you know, I know that the, it's, it, it's interesting because you know this too, before the pandemic even hit, I mean, back in 2019, mental health was the top trending, you know, sort of topic for organizations. And then, and then the pandemic hit, it's like, oh my goodness, like that's been amplified more than ever. And, it, and this is beyond just like throwing EAPs and programs at the problem. And this, this is a much bigger thing. Now, I mean, we're redesigning work. We're thinking about, I mean, I, so many companies I've talked to that like their leases have been up, you know, and they're like, they're, they're now going hundred percent virtual. So what does that mean? Like, how do we, you know, we've been doing this for a year now, but is this, is this the long term? I was talking to someone actually earlier today and he's like very different job types are doing very different things. And, and what's, what's important regardless of the job type or the job you're in is, is recognizing that like, this is a really challenging time for people. And the one thing that we all need is, is support through this, not to mention that, We've got family that might be in, you know, assisted living and family care and other things. And like, they're struggling. We've got, you know, aging parents that were still trying, like life, the challenges of life didn't go away before COVID. Like they're still there. <laughs> and so now we're, we're managing that and we're managing this and it's a whole like brave new world. And I, I don't know how you, A, there's no going back as you know, but I don't know how you would turn your back or act like, you know, this, this, this isn't going away. There is no, we're not going back to a, the normal that was. We are recreating a future together right now. And the best way, the most, to me, the, the, the way that's going to make us most successful is by, you know, acknowledging that, A, we're, like this is hard, but we're, we need each other to help each other get out of this. That there's no, you know, it's not going to be a siloed one person, you know, climb out of the hole by yourself. We need each other. And to me, at the end of the day, that, that's all I really care about now is like, how do we... 
help people support each other through all the life challenges um, to, to really create a better future, not just for ourselves, but for our kids. And I know, you know, you have kids too. Like it's, to me, it's more about like, this has been such a challenging year that hopefully all of us want to like look to tomorrow and say, okay, like we're, we're going to, we're going to create new systems. We're going to create new organizational structures and cultures and ways of being uh, that really support the best, you know, way that we can thrive as humans. So there's, there's no going back. I think it's, it's pretty obvious what, you know, the, some of the faults of the wellness program that you and I have been so critical of in the past and the very traditional medical model approach um, and again, I, I always like to say like the basics matter. So let, we'll just say the basics matter. It's important to eat well. It's important to move. It's important to get a good night's sleep. It's important to, you know, alcohol, moderate consumption. I mean, those things all matter, but, the, but, but really what matters more than that is making sure that our basic safety and psychological needs are met first, because if they're not, then we're not going to climb out of it and we're not going to get better. And so I think that there needs to be a renewed focus on just making sure that, people are taken care of. And I told you the day, like it, it, it's shocking to me. We hear a lot about, you know, the, the COVID deaths and, and, and that's a very big deal. And it's, it's, it's horrible, but there's also a lot of downstream implications that we're not talking about enough. I mean, death by suicide rates are going up, mental health, you know, issues and substance abuse is going up. I mean, addiction is going up. I mean, overdoses are going up. Like the, all of these things that we don't hear enough about that we're, we are and, and organization and these are, you know, organizations are struggling with this every single day. I mean, this is a very real Medi piece that I know, you know, Medi is a, is a good friend of ours and, and Medi and I work closely together and, you know, she's been busy and that's not, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and I'm glad she's around to help organizations and communities because she's the best. But at the end of the day, they're like, we've got to figure out how to reduce the suffering. How do we care, you know, care more about people and build more love and empathy into all the things that we do? Because it again, I, not to be dramatic, if, if we don't, we're in trouble. I mean, we need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I definitely, the acceleration of compounding issues that COVID brought in has just been tremendously uh, challenging to wrap our heads around. So and there, there are a couple of things that, you know, that have stuck out to me too, is I, I was listening to a person on a radio show talking about, at the, this was at the end of the year on New Year's Eve and and it's cold outside, it's snowing I'm, and I'm supposed to be exercising but I'm just sitting there on the floor listening to my Sirius XM radio station talk about this, uh, this poet, John O'Donohue had a blessing about presence. And so the person was quoting that, but then he, he started it by saying, is, is there, is there the possibility that as we've slowed down life in this pause, we've uncovered things that we may not like about ourselves? And are we going to address those? And so the, the great work that Nnedi is on top of helping us break down the stigma, but this COVID opportunity for us is to expand when we're talking about mental well-being. What are we really talking about? And are we afraid, have we been afraid or have we been so busy that we didn't realize, not only be not be afraid, but did we not realize the undergrowth of, of stuff in our lives that was dragging us down because we just covered it up with work, busyness, rushing around and occupying ourselves to the point that because we were 
thinking of achievement. And so we're thinking of staying busy and busy is a sign of achievement. And go down the whole list of issues that we face there. But as we're entering this phase and starting hopefully to really get to the root cause and start to address some of these issues and, and with, with your organization, I mean, really helping people in their day-to-day life are, you know, are we, are we able to open this conversation up so that mental well-being isn't a siloed part of that organizational life, but it's woven into the fabric as, as you say, as we, as we redefine work, we're also redefining people's relationship to their work. And, and now that means that we're opening up a lot of opportunity to support people in different ways because they're no longer captive in an office for eight hours. We didn't pull them away from that environment. They're in their environment, teaching kids, homeschooling, running their home daycare while they're on meetings. And now how do we help people get through that? You know, and that's where you're, what you're doing is, really helping us rise to that top of that conversation ladder. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's one thing, you know, the pandemic has done, I mean, it, it is just, it's sort of like been the highlighter of, of, of life. Right. I mean, like if you were in a relationship that wasn't that great, but it was being managed because both parties were traveling a lot and sort of, you sort of orbited around different moons, but you'd cross here and there. Now you're in the same house. And like, and the cracks in the dam are, are very, you know, very much more apparent, you know, even in worse situations. And I'm sure you've heard this, I mean, if you were in a toxic or abusive relationship and now you can't leave your house, like, where are you going to go to get out of it? Like, that's a big deal. And like, and that's, that's very, you don't hear enough about that, but so it, it is all the, the, the social justice and equities that, that, you know, have existed throughout all of this. I mean, I think are, are very, are, are coming clear. I think which is good and bad, right? I think now that we're seeing, you know, all of these sort of problems, whether it's deep within ourselves and our own lives or from a very systemic and societal sort of, you know, issue, like let's do something about it. <laughs> let's, let's fix it. Like that's the good news. I mean, there, there's hope like this. We're, we're not, you know, not all of us. And unfortunately some people don't need to, don't have the opportunity to maybe to get out of it as easy as others, but recognizing where some of the cracks in the dam are, isn't a bad thing because that gives the opportunity to, to fix it and to help others fix it and help others navigate some of the, the challenges, you know, as well, because you really can't, I mean, we can't hide anymore. Right? I mean, you can hide in your house, but at the end of the day, like, I think this is this is one of those times where like this is going back to the to be brave and to make the choice and to to really be deeply thinking about like where we started today. What are your core values? Are you living in congruence with those values? And if you're not, what is it going to take to do that? And how do you get others to help you along the way? Because we're not the only ones asking these questions. And there are really good, one of the cool parts about life guides, I can tell you when I when I first joined, I said, is it hard to get, you know, like guides on board? And Derek, the CEO Derek, was like, man, we got people coming out of the woodwork. We got people, we got, you know, we got a, a wait list to be guides because there are so many people that want to help other people, which is which is beautiful, right? Like that's an incredible, I wouldn't necessarily have guessed that, but there's people that want to give back and want to do that. And all we have to do is ask for help. And there will be people all around us, whether you're part of a church or a community or whatever, that, that are going to help you figure out how to get back, you know, aligned with that self and, and to really um I don't know, live a purposeful, happy and, and connected life, but it takes the support of other people um, and the acknowledgement that we need help to get there. 
Yeah, and I and I love to we we talk a little bit about this as as one of the fingerprints of what has happened over this past year, and and you and I we've reflected on. So we we're in a field, and let's be fair, like our field is oftentimes a field of privilege, and wellness is a is oftentimes not equitable or fair, and that. That has that's been an undercurrent. I mean, that undercurrent's been there. I mean, I was in the national wellness, you know, in some of the conversations we had in the early 2000s, it was how can we get wellness resources to underserved populations and in different sites or cities and groups around the country and bringing in a more inclusive voice and to just try to try to us be better and open up avenues to have those conversations and the social justice movement of the past year have absolutely ought to have changed all of our views on how, when we talk about wellness, we're talking about a well world where, like you said, safety needs are met, psychological safety needs are met. And those in the, in our, in our feelings of, of feeling like we have the skills and tools to live a life that couldn't be determined by income more geography. That could be something that was equitable and available to everyone. Man, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I think this is an incredibly important issue and one that's probably a little bit controversial as well. I, I've been saying for a while, wellness is not distributed equitably along, you know, within organizations. And I think, again, this is one of those things that the pandemic really highlighted. I mean, being in the Midwest, as you are kind of right in the middle of, you know, the, the meatpacking central uh, of the world and the pandemic hits, We've got meat packers and all these plants between me and you, basically. We've got you know, workers not making a living wage that are being forced to show up every single day or that are living in multifamily households that are giving code, you know, COVID um, and not given the resources or supports. And a lot of these areas don't have the medical infrastructure that uh, a lot more of the urban areas uh, you know, do. It, it's, it's been... It's tragic. I mean, and that's, you know, that's one end, but even within organizations, and you know this too, I mean, there's always this big, you know, the big conversation, well, what do we do with non-exempt versus exempt? And and do they have the same, you know, access? Should we pay them to work out or not? Should we pay them to get a flu shot or not? And it's just like, it it was always asking the wrong question. Um, And you're right. I I think we've really got to think, and anybody that's listening or watching, making sure like, looking at your program, if you will, and I've never liked the word program, but looking at your initiatives or your culture through the lens, like, are you serving the bottom 25 to 75% of your workforce? That, you know, fortunately for the people in the top that are, you know, exempt employees that have the, you know, Pilates studios to go to and the Apple watches, like wellness has been easier for them. But there's a lot of people that don't have access to, to food, we all know about food deserts, but you know there there are other challenges. Whether it's access to care, whether it's access to you know all just a variety of things that have created you know a lot of inequities in communities. And and you know a friend of mine, I, I actually should give her a shout out. You have Shamaba Shaha is the CEO of, of We in the World. We've been doing a lot of work over the last year on really looking at the deep systematic issues that exist within communities to really help bring more equity um, to everybody. Because this is and and I believe a big key to this is not just how businesses treat employees and not just making sure that all employees 
are treated equitably with, with whatever wellness resources they might have, but, but making sure that they play their part in community. So what is your business doing to help alleviate and to help um, really get rid of some of these inequities that exist? Because I, 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 again, not to get political, but I don't believe the government's going to solve all of our problems. Hopefully that's a fair statement that I believe that, you know, organizations really have a vested interest in the communities that they operate in uh, to really go the extra mile to help with, whether it's providing care, whether it's providing complete streets, whether it's providing access, whatever it is. And so we've done a lot of work on that. If anybody's interested, you can reach out to me and let me know. But I think we've there's what's cool is that this has also made people like Shomava and others rise up. And she's been working closely with the former uh, Surgeon General Dr. Uh, Jerome Adams uh, on some of these things and to really say, look, here's we've got blueprints. Like we got like, you want to get involved? Here you go. It's not, you know, we'll we'll give you the roadmap. We'll give you the to-do list, like whatever you need. Uh, that there there is a lot of work that has to happen. I mean, even today I was I was reading that, you know, and we all I mean the, the COVID vaccinations is a great thing, and I think the U.S. as a nation has done a good job. But there's still a lot of people that that are not getting it that need it. There are people that can't leave their homes because they're too sick. They can't get it. They can't go to the vaccination sites to get it. So what are what are we as states, communities, neighborhoods doing uh, to really get more involved to to, to raise up? Um, awareness and help for those that, that need it the most. And I can probably tell this is an area that I get pretty passionate about. I think it's, you know, it's like my sister has, you know, terminal cancer. She's had it for four years. She can't figure out how to get vaccination. And it's, it's still, you know, it blows my mind. Um, and there's others that I know that fall into the no risk category that have had, you know, great ease uh, of getting it and, and, and not to go off on a tangent on that. But I think that, there's something that we can all do to, to create more equitable communities and organizations, whether it's a wellness program or involved in your community uh, to really sort of bridge that gap and to raise up those that need it um, and to really help where you can, because it's going to take all of us. Yeah. I, I really think that uh, I, I loved the work that you've done and the approach that you've taken. And I, and I know we've, talks about it being somewhat controversial to talk like this because for a lot of people when they want their wellness to be apolitical or like that it's not a political subject it's my my wellness and i i i look at wellness like a sociologist like i look at it and say no it's absolutely political and the means by which people can have the access or the ability or opportunity to live a better life is directly tied to our political activism structure voting uh companies working with their communities, our, our understanding of the limitations of government. So we know how to pick up all the slack that's needed where government ends and, and we as community members begin. And, and that takes all of us. And yeah. that is that I think is our next quantum leap in this field is to really become a political movement along the way and pick up all these things that we know, all these things that we've researched and all the ideas that we have about what we want it to be. We don't want it to be, we don't want Gwyneth Paltrow to find wellness for us. We want to take charge of what it is that we need and make sure that everyone can and have access to the things that we're talking about. Yeah. It, this reminds me of, you know, when I was in my undergraduate uh, program in Arizona, I, I got a degree in anthropology. And I remember my my first class in anthropology, the teacher said, you know, anthropology is the study of similarities, not differences. At the end of the day, people are people. What makes us happy, what makes us sad, what brings us joy. I mean, we all, it's sort of this universal experience. 
We all want to wake up and, and live the best life we can be. We all want to wake up and enjoy our children and enjoy our family and have good meals together and, and laugh together, celebrate holidays together. All of those things really matter. And it's, it, this is not, this, this sort of transcends, you know, this is like the cultural universals, right? It transcends, you know, color and age and religion and, and country of origin, all of that, you know, it's, and how do we just allow people and, and support people and being more people and, and giving the basics back? And I think that's where wellness got off, you know, the, the tracks a little bit when it became such a medically, you know, focused thing that wasn't equally distributed and given out to populations. Um, and it was it, 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 it was under the, the guise of, you know, we're going to lower healthcare costs. <laughs> I mean, that was the, that was the movement, right? Like that's when all the major carriers out there, like, oh, we're going to buy wellness companies because that's going to lower costs and we're going to save money and it's going to be better that way. I mean, that was really where this began 20 years ago. And fortunately, we've made a lot of progress. And I think that over the years, I think we've, we've recognized that, that that's not, you know, we, we've moved away from, you know, a lot of the, the, the physical focus and the, the biometric attributes on wellness and into more of a, I think that was kind of the, the whole movement. Like, we're not going to call it wellness anymore. We're going to call it well-being now because that means something much more holistic and that's all again. That's probably another podcast. Is there a damn difference? And I don't really think, I don't, I don't know that it matters at all. And if it means more holistic and people look at the whole person now, then cool. So be it, you know, but it's just, I think we've, we've shifted a little bit, which is good. So I feel like we've, we've made some progress. I think we've taken a couple steps back a little bit. I think even, you know, the, the political front with, you know, mask being such a political sign and this and that at the end of the day, like we just need to do what's best for everybody and try to protect each other. And, um, and then provide the support that people need uh, to navigate their lives at the end of the day. I think creating more caring, loving, empathetic communities, cultures, organizations, whatever, is going to be so key to us um, sort of creating not not a norm, like the, the new, you know, society 2.0 or, you know, 2000.0, <laughs> wherever we're at. I know we've gone, you know, as humans, many iterations of this, but... Um, it just gets back to the basics of being human that we all need, we all love, we all want, we all cry, we all poop, we all do the same things. We're just people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. When you were talking about your anthropology, I, we should form a group of people where uh, our Anthro One Hundred One class was the most substantially important thing that we've ever taken in our right. academic setting. For me, I John Wagner's Human Origins Anthropology One Hundred One studying basic human needs, talking about, again, similarities and not differences, that was mind-blowing. And, and I think that was like my first step on this progress path toward wellness was understanding, okay, this is the human experience that we're all after. And right. that experience should be worthy. It should feel good. It should be caring, empathetic. It should be growing. It should be loving. We should feel like we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. All these things come together yes. into that's what wellness should be about, right? Right. <laughs> right? Yes. That that's that's like the foundation. I mean, we skipped the whole damn foundation and went like way up here. Like we got to go back to the base, which is exactly what you just said, and then build upon that. And and if we can successfully do that, I think we're gonna be just fine. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. We'll 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 at least be less destructive and combative, I hope. <laughs> right. It's, right. it's just so much. It's just so much easier to 
I don't know if I can cuss on this, but it's sure. <laughs> it's just so much easier and better just to not be an asshole. <laughs> like True. just be nice, just be kind, like be awesome, like just be more awesome. And you can you can bleep that out if you need to. But uh-huh. just the day, like it's it's just I don't know, just more love, more kindness, more like openness. Like I, I think that that's that's what it's going to take to get there. I mean, you never know. We used to say at the office, it's kind of wild. Like you never know what anybody's taking into the office. Like what's going on in their homes? They come to the office. Well, that's even amplified now too. Like I'm going to close my computer after a call. You have no idea what's going on behind those walls behind me. Much less what's going on behind your employees' walls behind you, whether it's good or bad. I mean, and so like we've got to just give people grace. We've got to give people more love. Of a little bit more space to navigate, you know, the complications of life. Uh, and again, if we can do that, we're going to be much better off. But we have no idea what people are going through on the other end of these Zoom calls today. And it's just so much better to allow a little bit of space for grace than um, than to be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I'm not going to bleep that out. <laughs> that's, that's I don't know if for PG or what that makes us now PG thirteen. I've tried to watch my mouth, we'll, but we'll let, the fed, we'll let the feds come after me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love to be on their radar, but uh, but so Ryan, as we as we wrap up, I know, and I, I feel like we just came to like the cusp of what we're really talking about here. But so as we're marching along in twenty twenty one, is there anything else that you want to share with with this group and the listeners to? Be thinking about and be mindful about as as these days continue to go on for them, and we we find ourselves in new in a new dynamic space for our lives and our work and our home. You know, no, I mean, I, I think we've covered a lot, and I would just I, I want like I want people to leave on a hopeful note. I really am optimistic. I mean, I think the the amount of love that I've seen. The, the amount of people that are really trying to step up to really create a better place for all of us has been extraordinary. And I know there's so many people hurting, um, it, but there's something that we can all do. And I would just encourage, I, I would love to give people, you know, not just hope, but the courage to actually do something, whether it's for themselves or for somebody else, that there are, there are people, there are organizations that, that can help. You know, I, I would love to, if any of you wants to know more about life guides, like, and how they can help you or your organization, like I'm available for that. If you want to talk personally about, you know, some ways, anything that I've, you know, mentioned that struck a chord, even if you don't like what I've said, I'd love to talk with you about it too. And like, I would just encourage, like now is the time to do something, um, whatever that is. And like, we are, we are co-creating our future together right now and that we're in, you know, this, it's a bit of a turmoil, but at the same time, it's also kind of a, it's, it's a space that, like I say, you know, the whiteboard is clean now. We've we've wiped off the whiteboard and we can we can get creative. Like let your artists, let your creativity, let your dreams, let your hopes, whatever, like bubble up and write those things down. And let's figure out like collectively how to make those come true. That we are living in a time where there's nothing is certain anymore. And if anything, that we can all do something to create a better future for, for us all or our kids or whatever. But I am incredibly hopeful and I am fortunate that I get to meet people like you and others that are tirelessly trying every day to make tomorrow better than today. And we all have that power. And so don't, don't let it go to waste, (laughs) you know, just take advantage of it and uh, be awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, that was a wonderful wrap up. I, 
I do. I, I know we, we like to dig in and in our critical thinking mode, we get in and start trying to work around the structure. But at the end of the day, I, like you, I've, I've been so inspired by the, in, by the conversations that we're having. And I feel like there is this emboldened collective of people yes. pushing everything in the right direction. So we just need to keep, we need to keep pushing and we may get tired and we may get exhausted by it, but it's the, like you said, we're co-creating a new world and we're yes. co-creating, which is the absolute beauty of all of this. We're, we're, we have a part to play and we're doing it. And so I, I, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. I, I think we could set up a whole series of episodes and keep talking about a lot of this stuff, but well, for now... If yeah. people like us, man, let's do it. If, if you get good feedback, <laughs> we, we got a, a couple different directions to go. <laughs> I think I think we can start something here. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to talk again. And happiness to you in your new endeavors and in your world. And, and we'll we'll get back on the highway to well at some point here in, there, in the near future. Yeah, Derek, thanks, man. I mean, you're doing great work, and thank you for getting the word out and allowing me the opportunity to, to chat with you and anybody that you know, is listening or watching. It's been a privilege and an honor, and, and if I can help anybody out there uh, in any way, uh, please know I'm easy to find. So look me up. I, I, I want to help and, and do my part. And Derek, I'm here to be my brother if I can help you with anything. But um, I, I wish you all the best of luck, um, courage, strength, and love, and look forward to the next time we get to chat again.